addition daf yud chet and dalit bridging social barriers. Svat yehud amariya. Let's learn some amazing about tragic reality of poverty. It's a reality. There is such a thing in life, and it creates classes and barriers that can last for generations and generations. That it's very hard to to climb out of. America was like the first modern society where you could relatively easy easily move from one class to another. Many will argue that even there it's all, it's often almost impossible to do so, and most people can't do so. But the Torah introduces an amazing mechanism, to some degree at least, to help people out of this class rut that one can get locked into. You can learn the Torah through a, a Western, liberal, secular lens, and there are parts of the Torah you will find disgusting. You can take that same piece of Torah and learn it through the lens of Chazal, the way it's been passed down to us, in our oral tradition from generation to generation, and that same piece of Torah, which would be disgusting to one person, becomes a source of inspiration and elevation to another person. And the sugya, the whole piece of an Amai Vriya is one such thing. The fact that in times of poverty, the father is permitted to sell his daughter into, into slavery, into servitude, as a shifa, as an Amai Vriya, as a Jewish servant. And what that means, these few daf that we have now deal with that idea of an Amai Ivriya, with a particular twist in that halacha, which is the mitzvah of Yehud. That means the man who buys the right to this Amai Ivriya, there has to be a young girl. She's not yet that mitzvah when this transaction takes place. The man who acquires the rights to this Amai has a mitzvah, not just is he permitted, he actually has a mitzvah to marry him. So what does that all mean? What is this all about? And how do we understand this Pesukah? So let's start with the Pesukah. In Pashas Mishpatim Bechim, Kor Ishit Bitol Amah. If a man sells his daughter as a, an Amah, as a servant, her laws of getting out of the contract are different from those of an Eva. If she does not appeal to her master, and therefore he does not assign her to himself as a wife, you can't sell it to a non-Jew or to anybody else. You can't trade in her. We're going to talk about that word, the Vigdoba, but literally it seems to mean having abandoned her. Is it the father who abandoned her? Is it the, is the master who doesn't marry her who's abandoned her? If he doesn't want to marry her, he can marry her to his son. In which case, the marriage is a normal marriage and she's entitled to every right of a Jewish wife. If he marries a second wife, he cannot in any way diminish the rights to this wife, to the Amar, the, uh, the young servant who became his wife. She gets all the rights of the wife. When he doesn't marry her himself or, and he doesn't uh, marry her to his son, she can go out when she reaches an age of maturity. She leaves the servitude without any kind of payment or anything. Important in the Rambam, in Ha'av Rashailim Koret Bito Ella Imken He Ani Velonish Arno Klum. A person is only allowed to sell his daughter into servitude if he has become so poor that he has nothing. No karka, no property, no metaltali, no movable property. He doesn't even have the rights to a piece of clothing for himself. He's wearing borrowed clothing, he doesn't even have it. Only such poverty allows this way out to take to take his daughter and sell her labor to a master. And even then, says the Rabbi, as soon as it, as, as it is possible, the community helps, whatever, we, we, the father has to try and get her out of that servitude 
and buy her out. He cannot marry her without her participation, without her willingness. It's not it's something which is forced, which she, she, she doesn't have to marry him. He has to offer to marry her. And if she doesn't want to marry her, then, then so be it. Very important piece of Sefer Achinuch. Sefer Achinuch is a book, book of mitzvahs written by one of the, of the Rishonim, I'm not sure who. The Sefer Achinuch says, there's a mitzvah for the master to marry her. And this mitzvah is more important than the mitzvah of redeeming her. It's a greater mitzvah to marry her than to let her go. The understanding of this mitzvah says the Sefer Achinuch. The Torah has sympathy, empathy for the young girl who has been sold and for the father. Just think of the hellhole in which she would be raised. Her father has nothing, not even clothing for himself, never mind for his daughter. And you're in the society, how is she ever going to get out of that? She's never going to get an education. What kind of shidduch will she ever get? What, what kind of life is she destined for in that situation? So the Torah creates this way out. The Torah instructs the man who buys it. For now, it's not just a handout. This is a man of pride. He doesn't want charity from the community. So he sells his daughter's labor, and the man who buys that labor immediately offers to marry her and to turn her into a geveri, into a mistress in the house, not, not a servant in the house. So now she's out of the poverty. She's now married a wealthy man, but the father's got money. It's not, because you might say, well, if he wants to marry her, why doesn't he just offer to marry her? Why, why go through the, the ama? Why go through the servitude? Because the servitude enables somebody to pay the father, not charity, but for something of value. So he goes to the father, he says, you know, you've got a wonderful daughter. I need some help in the house. I will pay you $10,000 to have the help in the house until she grows up. So now he's out of his poverty. What about her? The next day he says to her, I want to marry you. Or I would like you to marry my son. Now she's right out of the social media. She's into another class. She's now the, the wife of a wealthy man. All, all through this unbelievable God is merciful. Should marry to the son, if not to him, Kigamin Ben Adonotis Machatagel. She could have a good life with the son as well. If that doesn't work, he must help her gain her freedom, but get her out of the hellhole of poverty. So she now she's been the father got money because he bought her. Now he helps her buy her own freedom. She gets out with freedom. She's no longer assigned to that home of poverty, and there's a way out of this terrible destitution. This is all part of Hashem's chesed. So when you look at this, look at this through the lens of, of the Torah giving us a mechanism to save this girl from the hellhole of destitution. Says the Rambam, If the master now said he marries her basically, she now becomes an arusa. She's betrothed. It's not yet a marriage. He still has to do a chuk. So the, Yehud, the way that Yehud works is he doesn't have to do a ceremony for Yehud. He just says, you are mine. Whatever he wants to say. He doesn't even have to give her a ring because he uses the money with which he acquired her in the first place. So there's already been a transfer of, of assets. That transfer of assets is enough to make her his wife if he so chooses and she agrees. But now she's an arusa, they betrothed. 
Now they have to have a chuppah. He has a proper chuppah and he invites the community and they have a reception, shepherd brothers, and they have a whole and they have a whole do for the for the chuppah. Until then, he's an she's an arusa. But from that moment, now she can't become free through the mechanisms reserved for a slave. The only way she can become free now is with a get or with the death of a husband. She has the laws of a wife. And he's got to relate to her as a wife and not as a not as a, a maid. If a marriage takes place, if there is an erusin, then she changes her status, and he must change the way he relates to it. Says the Rambam, we see that that's quoted almost verbatim from the Gemara on the next day, as we'll see tomorrow. There is a, an astonishing mitzvah. Remember the Nitziv was the Rosh Hashiva of Elohim for the whole of the 19th century. His life was spanned the 19th century. He was the Yeshiva, the Rosh Hashiva for 40 years, second half of the 19th century. And he was the Rebbe of a whole generation of Rosh Hashivas. And he was Teru, we still get today. And the Nitziv says in Hamik Davah, he wrote the wonderful parish on the, on the Torah, he says in Pashas, which quote him an astonishing thing, which I haven't seen people comment about, but it's so astonishing because it goes against the Rambam and against the Gemara. And he says, Clearly, when a man buys the rights to this young servant, his intention is to marry. That's what's going on here. This is, this is a way to marry the girl, but get money to the father. And it's a way to take him and her out of poverty. But his idea is she'll grow up and I will marry her. Listen to what the Nitzim says. And after he's married her, even though she's in the, has the category of Amar. This is not quite the same as another wife. Al Gemara says she's a wife after that. Says that it's evil, not quite, because the Torah doesn't give the wife a job to do in the house. The, the Chachomim, the rabbis, gave certain jobs, certain rights that the man has for his, his wife to do certain jobs in the house. But the Torah doesn't give her any jobs to, to do. She doesn't have those obligations. But this girl, Minha Torah, does have a job. Even after you, he's now married her. He's done a, a Rusin and he's done the Chuppah and they've had a reception. And now she goes home and we talked about the transformation that happens when a Nuya becomes an Eshet Ish, when a, a, a woman, a, a, an unmarried woman becomes a married woman, her personality changes, everything changes in the security of a new situation and a new status. So she also comes to Kubla, there's a reception, she comes home now as his wife. But one thing remains is that it's she still has the obligations, the job doesn't change. Her status changes, but not her job. Where does he get that from? All the changes is the security that he, she, he can't get rid of her except with the get. So she has the security and permanence of a wife, but she has the job of a shifka. I haven't seen anybody else who says this, and it seems to be against the Rambam, who says, He's got to treat her as a wife and not as a maidservant. Where does the Nitzit get it from that she, the job continues? It's, it's as a wife, it, it, she, she's a wife in as much as there's security. And, and they have a relationship of husband and wife in every other way, but the job remains the same. Where does that come from? I think it comes from Agamemnon. This is where we get into in the Arpins of Gemara and Afyutetam and Aleph, where Omar Ma, the Gemara talks about the fact there are certain things about a, a slave that don't apply to a maidservant, and the Gemara says, but we see from the Mishnah, it seems that, that everything that applies to the slave does apply to the maidservant. We won't go into that now. 
that the, what the Gemara comes to the conclusion is, Omar Rav Sheshit Kagon Shigi Adah. No, where she has a situation different from a slave is where Yehud has taken place. So he's now married. Ask him, yeah, if she's married her, then of course she can't get her freedom with all the ways that a slave can. She's now a wife. The only way she can get freedom is if he dies or if he gives her a get. We know that. We don't need that to be told. Get her by her. She needs a get. Says the Gemara in amazing I might have thought, yes, Yehud has taken place and she's now his wife. But I might have thought that the halachot that she had as an amah haven't moved away, haven't been cancelled. Kamash Malan comes to teach us they have been cancelled. The Rambam learns that means everything has been cancelled. She's no longer an Amah, she is now an Isha in every way. And it seed learns, and we'll see why. No, it's only, we're only talking here about her methods of gaining freedom. She gains freedom the way a wife does, no longer the way a servant does. She, there has to be a get. Without a get, she doesn't gain freedom. And Rashi says on this Hilkata, Hilchot Amah Avriya. I might have thought that the halachot of the of servants still apply, and therefore the Imratstalat Seit Be'echad Me'edu Below Get Tetzay. If she wants her freedom using one of the other mechanisms that are available to a slave, a servant, she can use them. Kamash Malan. It comes to teach us no, she can't. Her only way out is with the get. Now that word, so I want to reference you to understand the, the source of, of this amazing tzim. Let's go back to the Gemara and Daftes Zion that when we learned the Ramban. And the Ramban said there are two different kinyanim, there are two different connections to an evit in this case of Abdur. The one was a kinyan keser, which is the kinyan that requires the servant to work for. The other one is a Kenyan Aguf, where there is a change in status. An Evid is no longer the same, the same status. We saw it with an Evid Knani, and now it applies also to an Evid Ivri. An Evid Knani has to do certain mitzvot. Even an Evid Ivri is permitted to a Shikha. There are certain status laws that change when you make somebody an Evid. And the Ramban said, you can forego your rights to the job, but you can't forego the status change. For that, you need to get Shikhur. You actually need to get that release. So the Ramban created this difference, these two elements, two dimensions of Avdut. When a man becomes an Ebed, or in this case, a woman becomes a Shifcha, two things happen. She has contracted her labor, and her status has changed from a free person to a Shifcha. What happens with Yehud? With Yehud, I would suggest, according to the Ramban, and that's the way the Nitzib is learning, with Yehud, her status changes. But the job hasn't changed. He bought her rights to labor. That remains. And this is Mulichil. He's allowed to say, I don't need that anymore. But until he says that, her job as a help in the house continues. Mida or writer, even after you, then that would be where the Nitzit gets this from. This change in status that takes place with you, we have an interesting phrase in the Gemara that talks about Kiban Shepiresh Talito Aleha. The bottom of the Dalit, the top of Amudbeth. Once he has spread his talus over her, that's the, the phrase that is used for yield. Says the Rashash, the Rashash was in Vil in the same period as the Natsib was in Baloja. Says the Rashash, This is where the veiling of a, of a bride comes from. This idea that he spreads her, his talus over her, this is the idea of the, of the veil. 
ויש המנהג מצד מקומות שגם החתן הולך עם הקרואים לחסותיו, אז מינה אוף בדקינג עם סם קומיוניטיז. ולחוסן גרס תדעו בדקינג עםסוף, בטוב היה שהוא בעצמו יחסן לעצמו, that he should actually do the bedeking, says the Rishash. This is the Makor for it, this is where it comes from, our piece of Gemara. When he raised it, זה שאמרה רוטו פרשה כנפי חלם התפן. רוט מסיב את הסיים וורדים. אבל נראה את הפרישה בגד לא היה נהוג רק בייעוד. But I think this only happened with ייעוד. This wasn't in every marriage. They didn't, the only time they did this bedeking was with ייעוד. אתה הייתה לו לאמה, את אומר שהיא הייתה בסטטוס של סרבנט. So he shows her a, a gesture of public intimacy, putting his garments around her and embracing her in it to say from now on you're your husband and wife, you're not a servant. They cover themselves with one garment like an Isha and Isha. So this goes further, this goes to the, the minute that you see sometimes under the chuppah, where they, 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 they take a talus and the person wraps it around the talus. But that's based on Amaratz. That's, that's completely moved. Because for, for the Sfardim, there's a basis for that because they don't do a, a bedeking and they do that. And so for Ashkenazim, what does it say? According to the Rishash, when you wrap the talus around your bride, what are you saying? You're no longer my servant. You're now my wife, but don't forget, we learned in the Nitzim, you still have all the laws of servants. You're still working for me. It's so interesting that a lot of the women who are into feminism like this idea of, of doing the Taz. And I call that cultural appropriation, because we get mixed up with Minagin. For an Asfadi to do it is, is right according to their set of Minagin. But in Ashkenazi, who has a different set of Minagin, to appropriate selected Minagin from Asfadi. And we do it all the time. We do it in shuls, we do it in Dabni, we do it at our weddings, we do it at our symptoms. We appropriate Minagin and we create a, a shatnips. We mix minagim that don't belong together. So here for an Ashkenazi to do that, that would be saying, this is Yehud, says the Rasha. That would be saying, that you were my fiancé before, you were my maidservant before. Now you're going to be my maidservant and my wife. That's what it means when you put the talus around, around it. So why do it? It just shows that you don't understand the Gemara, that you've never learned the Sunya, that you've never learned the Rishash, that you don't understand the meaning of it and that the, and that the minag is shallow. And, and so we should discourage it if possible. That's not for Ashkenazim to do. It's not for People think it looks cute, it's romantic, but forget that understanding in Hagim and practices and sources in Torah, they're not just things you pick up in the street. You don't just see something nice. Like the Minagir, they start now exchanging rings and the wife, the, the girl gives the man the ring. Isn't that nice? They do it in the secular world. Isn't that romantic? No, it's not romantic. It undoes the wedding. It makes the Kiddushin Batil, unless you do it afterwards and it's clearly not part of the wedding. But if at the time of giving the ring, they exchange rings, says Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, that undoes, we learned that. That undoes the whole wedding. You can't use Amaratsu, you can't use ignorance when it comes to Minhagim. You can't just adopt Minhagim from the street, and you can't appropriate Minhagim from other cultures. You've got to make sure that there's consistency, that everything that you're doing makes sense. Otherwise, it's like one Rosh Hashiva said, it's like wearing a bow tie with your pajamas. But it doesn't have pajamas are fine, and the tuxedo is and the tuxedo is fine. You want to wear, but to wear a bow tie with your pajamas doesn't work. And we we do that all the time as we incorporate minagim that don't belong to our culture. A great minagim in the right set. If you're going to sleep, it's a great minag to wear pajamas. If you're going to a party, it's a great minag to wear a bow tie. But to wear bow tie and pajamas, that's shutness. That doesn't make any sense. 
And we do that often. We introduce minhagim that don't make sense. This is a great example of where we tend to do that.